Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Better Than Life, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Red Dwarf. I'm Fergus, and I'm the kind of smeghead who watches the whole series at least once a year. And I'm John. This podcast is my first time re-watching the show in decades. And we're not the only living beings on this ship, because we're joined every ep by a special guest, and by Alex, who produces the hell out of this mess. This time, we're chatting Series 1, Episode 3, Balance of Power, with Suze Kempner. Come on, John, let's get out there and twat it. It's a show about a man who's lost three million years in space. His company and evolved cat and a hologram he hates. Plus a fuzzy robot and a ship that's gone senile. We love the jokes and sci-fi stuff, that's why. It's better than life. We are so lucky to have this guest. She is objectively among the funniest and most talented people around. Uh, she's a lauded singer, mm-hmm. appearing in Cabaret's musical musical reviews and collaborating with the likes of Richard Thomas, for crying out loud. She's a superb award-winning comedian with Edinburgh shows and stand-up specials available right now online. Yep. She's an accomplished actor, recently <laughs> playing Doom in Doctor Who and completing a West End run with Adam Kay. But above all else... She's a Red Dwarf fan. It's Suze Kempner. <laughs> Thank Welcome. you. I like that. Above all else, Red Dwarf Thank fan. you. Well, for, for us, for our purposes. It's, yeah, the, it's the main course. credential for this show. <laughs> for our listener, it is the key credential you have right now, but then they'll sure. go and find out more about you after the show. Oh, right, well, it's not just being a fan of Red Dwarf. She can sing. She is funny. <laughs> it's real. It was all real. <laughs> <laughs> so what about this show? How did you... Do you remember when you first got into it? So I joined like a, a new class when I was nine and someone who I was sat like put next to called Lauren she loved Red Dwarf like she was obsessed with Red Dwarf and she said have you seen Red Dwarf and I hadn't and then the next day she brought in uh, her VHS box set of season one oh. like two videos and then I took them home and watched them and I was obsessed but I also really wanted to impress her so I was like sort of <laughs> determined to like it like impress my new friend in the class but I just I just thought oh this is brilliant and it's really nice to grow with it because that's like coming up on 30 years yeah. and it's nice to grow with Red Dwarf and go no this is oh this is great for reasons I didn't even realise it's it's great yeah that's really cool <laughs> that you could start from season one as well yeah at that yeah point. that's awesome yeah was it like was it pressing buttons that you already liked sci-fi or comedy or uh, was the whole shebang new to you at that age I, 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 like, I grew up in a household with a lot of um, comedy on VHS like stand up um, and Victoria Wood and we had Victoria Wood and Faulty Towers and we had an Eddie Murphy video which I probably shouldn't have been watching um, <laughs> Uh, and 
uh, like on cassette, things like Round the Horn and um, and Derek and Clive, which is definitely shouldn't have been listened. Wow. To. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was listening to Derek and Clive when I was nine. Oh, that God, was that was good so stuff, much. though. Yeah. I don't I, think it was for adults. No, was, no. I think it was for nine-year-olds. Yeah, like, I think you're right. So yeah. silly and swearing. It's, it's still very good. Cool. It's, it's, it's still good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Red Dwarf. So Red Dwarf did fit right. Blackadder and, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't like, this is my first sitcom. Um, and my mum, when I brought it home, I said, I got these. Someone borrowed me these. And my mum was like, oh, Red Dwarf's brilliant. So, yeah, oh, wow. Awesome. A, okay. She already loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and that didn't put you off it. <laughs> no, no, I was desperate to impress mother. <laughs> <laughs> so was there was the how did you feel about the sci-fi? Sci-fi take it or leave it or was that the the key that kind of galvanized the comedy for you? I don't think I've ever been like a big sci-fi um buff in any way. I, this has been said a billion times. It's really not an original point, but the the best thing about Red Dwarf is it works so brilliantly as a sitcom. Mm. Particularly with season 1, it there's there's so much of the sit in sitcom there um so that the sci-fi elements are just part of that rather than oh yes this is a sci-fi show with jokes in it if if you would think if you were a writer working out how to trap two an odd couple together yeah you can't go much you can't go wrong like you can't get much better than a spaceship three million years away from exactly yeah there's literally nowhere to go for either of them and yeah it's weirdly instantly recognizable the the moment you start watching it Mm. It does it also brilliantly. I, I I know we're not talking about the pilot today, but I think the pilot of Red Dwarf, I, I've used that as like teaching an example of a perfect pilot for a sitcom. They wow. Every single character sort of arrives fully formed. They build the world almost instantly. Uh, that's brilliant. That's what you want from a sitcom, definitely. Tell us more. Please feel free to talk about whatever <laughs> episodes you want, especially in this bit of the, uh, the episode uh, podcast. Oh. Um, because I, I agree. It's so mm. tight. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we have to, we spend 10 minutes meeting this workplace this very mundane workplace <laughs> set in a, a, a recognizable future even though like we can't comprehend it um because it may as well be on a some industrial ship somewhere in the yeah, sea that's true. Yeah, um, that's true. yeah and For the first couple of series definitely. yeah yeah um so that that first 10 minutes really sets up a lot in that time we see a funeral and we see how they handle a funeral and how in the future you don't grieve in the same way and we just buy it because they present it Mm. so with such mundanity that we just buy it immediately so that when we see Lister wake up having been asleep for three million years and they say well we've got you someone back and then we see it's Rimmer walking we know what that is we're like oh yeah Yeah. that's the hologram from earlier never feel it's been seeded for us but it's not like being like crammed down our necks so mm. it, we we don't watch uh, the funeral of George and him coming back as a hologram and go oh I see this is going to happen later in the episode with no. uh, one, one of the main characters so yeah it's uh, just everything about <laughs> everything about is brilliant <laughs> I, I met Jenna Russell who is an incredibly accomplished theatre performer and TV performer she's been in EastEnders I mean if you ever do oh, an no. EastEnders podcast have me back um, <laughs> it's, she's her, one of her first jobs was she sang the theme tune. Oh, um, oh wow. Yeah, oh you could you should get her on. She's so funny. But she says like she always says like the the job when whatever job she's doing by about day 3 someone will go is 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 it true that that's you <laughs> singing the red door theme tune and she said she can't believe it because it was essentially 2 hours of work. 
Yeah, of course. When she yeah. was about and, 21. And presumably, like, she must have been absolutely baffled when she saw the, saw the programme. Yes, she Imagine was. seeing those <laughs> lyrics before seeing the programme, then watching the programme going, have I, did they make a mistake? Is, yes. Is this, they've put the wrong song on the that's wrong show. That's it, surely. that's it. Yeah, and I was starstruck when I met her. Not because she's won Olivier's and played <laughs> Dot in Sunday in a Park with George. I was like, it's the woman from the Red Dwarf theme tune <laughs> it's, it's so instantly recognised like everything about that piece of music that's is it irresistible and undeniable even even to the extent that John and I were out yesterday on the South Bank and he went oh it's cold outside <laughs> yeah. and you can't you yeah. can't say those three words without going it's not kind of yeah now you know, I've like, got to finish it <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah Oh, Jenna Russell, good on her. Because I've never yeah. seen her name in the credits. It's always uh, no, they don't. Um, yeah, she would have just been a, a session singer. And I do love that the opening title sequence that uses mm-hmm. a really cut down, bleak orchestral version of that same tune. Yes. Do you like that? I love it. Yeah, I prefer I prefer that to the uh, to the fun electric guitar, <laughs> which feels more nineties. <laughs> that feels more nineties. Whereas the the uh, original from eighty eight just really feels like timeless. It feels like it could be from uh, 80 years ago. It could be 200 years in the future. It's, yeah, brilliant. We would, we would, we've been talking in previous episodes about how it's quite surprising to start a sitcom with something that bleak. Yeah. But actually, I think the 80s were a time of doing that. Do you remember a sitcom called Dear John? No, I yeah. don't know Dear John. The song Dear John. <laughs> I do remember By the that. time you read these words, I'll be gone. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> Oh, God, the Birds of a Feather theme tune was very sad as well, wasn't it? What yeah. did I do? Yeah, it's like oh, they yeah. both died. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Yeah. That birds, I knew Birds of a Feather was set in uh, Hell. heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going for the other one. What's the one between? I can't, oh, my gosh. Purgatory. Purgatory. Purgatory, there we go. Do you have a do you have a favourite performance or character in Red Dwarf? I know when I was a kid, I was all about the cat. I thought it was amazing, and I do I do think that performance is brilliant. Obviously, particularly in season yeah. one when he really is a cat. Um, but uh, as an adult, I I just think Chris Barry's performance as Rimmer is uh, this is going to sound wrong because I think the show is brilliant. I but it's almost too good for the show because. Um, <laughs> It's it's better than it needs to be because the dialogue is already great and he's but what he does with that character is just phenomenal and I feel like if he was an American actor in an American show and he was doing that he'd be on like eight Emmys and they'd have put mm. him in huge films I think he's I, I think he's amazing outside of Red Dwarf as well mm. I, I just think he's one of our most underrated actors and I think it's quite nice that he's gone he's sort of in his in his um later career gone oh well I'll just do Red Dwarf for a couple of months of the year and spend the rest of the time having my quite nice life I think he does have quite a nice life driving yeah. classic cars and yeah yeah talking about classic cars I think yeah. that's his, his thing now <laughs> right? what a dream yeah so where, that thing where what like what um what a lesson to all of us like oh yeah he felt like he had enough success and that'll do whereas I wouldn't be like that <laughs> I'd be going well I'm, I'm gonna have one more go at crack in America or something <laughs> I was just talking to Alex about the idea that there mu- I think there must be an age. It's not about losing ambition, mm. but it feels like there's an age where you just get to be okay with what you've done. Right, yeah, which right? must be Hopefully. what's happened. It might It might be an age thing, it, or it might be being in something that has a convention circuit attached to it. Right. Because then you know, if you're a bit short, you can always go and tap into some of that sweet That's signed true. photo yeah. money. <laughs> oh, yes. The convention, the, that sweet convention money. Well, I'm hoping uh, yeah. I'll be able to get on that myself. Eh? <laughs> I think yeah, it will. That would be quite. That would be quite <laughs> nice. I love sitting down. 
<laughs> Sitting down and writing your own name. That's it. Yeah, I can do that. I've been doing that for years. <laughs> I've been doing that for 15 years, been able to sit down and write my own name. Perfect. <laughs> what is it about Rimmer? I, I, maybe mm. it is Chris Barry's performance. He is a despicable person, but he's you can't stop watching him. There's something yeah. fascinating about him. But when he when he really sinks to the depths of like better than life, where he's mm. given the opportunity to have whatever he wants and ends up creating a nightmare for himself. Yeah. How are we still watching him? How how come yeah. we like, oh yeah, more of this please. More of this. Dude. Is it because of Lister? Is it because the two of them kind of yin and yanging each other? Obviously they're an amazing um sort of fire and ice, oil and water combo. Uh I think that the way Rim has written, Chris Barry really digs into the odious side of it, but there's always this slight vulnerability. What I really like about the character is they don't let him off. There's not this idea that, because mm. he constantly says, well, I never stood a chance. And everything we learn about him, uh, particularly in those first six seasons, everything we learn about him, you go, oh, yeah, no, you could have been so much more. And the show actively says that. And well, you don't see that. You don't see that on camera with a with uh, you don't see that in sitcoms even with a character who we're meant to like. It, it's not even we hate him, but we love to watch him. Like you do find yourself going like, oh, I guess I guess I like you. <laughs> Especially British. In mm. British comedy, we like people who fail because they're shit, or yeah, rather, people who, people who yeah. the tragic character, right? The, true, yeah. the the definition of tragedy, where you're causing your own downfall, yes. your own neuroses, and your own ambition, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And he's so resilient in his unpleasantness; yeah. like, he will not change. <laughs> mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what happens to him; he will not change. Yeah, but he will every now and again pretend to change for about thirty seconds <laughs> to see if he can get something he wants. Yes, and then immediately the mask comes off. Yeah, and he's yeah. constantly finding new ways to be unpleasant. Yes, <laughs> mind. You, I think I think Lister gives him. Lister is obviously a beautiful and positive and mm. humanist character, but mm -hmm. occasionally he gives him he gives Rimmer a run for his money. Oh yeah, I'll, like referencing like Marooned in series three, where mm -hmm. he cuts a guitar shape mm -hmm. out of Rimmer's trunk and pretends mm -hmm. it is. Lister's a bad person. It's proper piece of shit behaviour, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it is a British thing as well? Like I was thinking about the fact that one of the reasons maybe this this whole concept didn't work in America, in spite of America loving an odd couple, mm -hmm. is that Rimmer is there to keep Lister sane, and the idea that antagonism would engender peace somehow, yeah, like mental right. spiritual peace. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I think is a lot easier to swallow if you've lived in Thatcher's Britain. <laughs> yeah, which we were bang in the middle of at this point, I guess. Yeah. So I always use the example because the Red Dwarf, they never made it work in America for various reasons. They were like, what is it? One, one sort of real dodgy pilot and then this cheap ass taster thing they made with a different cast and and it just wouldn't work the example i always use is how it wouldn't work so they they remade faulty towers in america with b arthur and it was called like it was called something amanda's staying at amanda's or maybe it was just called amanda's i flipping love b arthur like yeah i mean I really do she is <laughs> she is a queen but uh, so she was playing the basil faulty role and in the episode um uh, where you know there's a there's a body they're trying to hide a body throughout in Faulty Towers. They recreate that episode with um, a sort of tweaked script with B. Arthur running around as uh, Basil Faulty going, "Oh no!" <laughs> and um, at the end of the episode, 
the body was just asleep and drunk and it comes back to life. Oh. And that's the difference between Britain and America. Wow. In, yeah. in America, they couldn't allow it to just be, it was a corpse all along. The twist has to oh be, and he was alive, it's all right, everything's, everything's all right. Fine. Everything's fine, everything's yeah. fine. Yeah, whereas in Faulty Towers, a guy dies, a guy dies in the night. Oh, yeah. And he's dead. Yeah. You can see he is dead. He's yes. pale and bloated by the time yes. we find him. Yes. Jesus. It wouldn't, like that episode wouldn't be a classic um, if at the end of it, Basil's like, ah, and he's alive. Like, and he goes, oh, he was alive the whole time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and therefore, everything we just did had no stakes. And exactly, no exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will never want to see this episode again. No. But you know what? That said, I'd love to see B. Arthur as Basil Fawlty. I suspect she's... It's, she's fun. She's got too much strength to play Fawlty, though, surely. Like, yeah, that's it as well. Like, America wouldn't allow people to be that pathetic. It's one of the, where there's been a lot of... Um, <laughs> I'm a big like spokesperson for Friends. I think it's brilliantly tightly written and um, as as problematic as many things that are nearly thirty years old. The scripts are so tightly written. I think the chemistry of that cast is largely unmatched. What they do well, and it doesn't get talked about enough, is yeah, everyone's too good looking, and um, you know they all look like beautiful '90s actors. Because guess what? It was a beautiful '90s actors <laughs> sitcom. But they still have a a character like. Ross, who is really pathetic, like mm. he's pathetic, and we still like him. That doesn't happen that much in American sitcoms that we really root for someone that pathetic. Other examples would be, I guess, like Niles in Frasier. Like he's kind of a pathetic, flawed character, but we That's really, really love interesting. him. Interesting, yeah. But you don't see it that much in America. I think Red Dwarf is a lot more British than Rob Grant and Doug Naylor actually wanted it to be. Right. Um, with reference in this episode, with the flashbacks, you've got Lister's mates are called Peterson and Chen. And, Selby. And McAllister, the captain's American. Yeah. And, and they've got Esperanto written on the yeah. walls in the background. Yeah. Again, this is a tough question, but what what is it about the show that makes you go, no, this is British, this is very British. In spite of their mm. best efforts, this is a very British show. Yeah, um, the most obvious thing is, I guess, they all look like real people <laughs> they don't look mm. they don't look like the cast of friends like if they made friends in britain hey that wouldn't work because mm. we always we always have to have some element of dyspepsia for something to be a true classic <laughs> um coupling coupling is so dark that's, that's the, right? the closest we've ever come yeah so yeah because they, they made an american coupling and it's like why have you done this oh, like, what's the only coupling was british friends exactly and yeah. and like i say we had to make it like kind of horrible um yeah <laughs> you look at sitcoms from around that era Things like ever-degreasing circles was just like, <laughs> just misery and and misery of a, one man's own making, basically. Like, Does it come down to schadenfreude then? Like, because it's taking another step back. We're looking at Steptoe and Hancock. Mm. Hancock was just not much fun yeah. to watch in Hancock's half-hour. <laughs> yeah. A miserable bloke complaining. Clearly, yes. clearly suffering from acute depression. That's but, it, yes. But just unrecognised and undiagnosed. So it's comedy. My boyfriend is a comedian in Toronto and he was brought up on British comedy like so many people in North America were. And he always said, he said he like laments sitcoms now that are so keen for everything to, to be nice. It has to be, it has to be quite nice. So you've got Shit's Creek, but it's okay. Don't worry. Everything's really nice. Everything's ultimately really nice. I have no issue with Shit's Creek, but that is true. Once it's seen, it can't be unseen. I sort of feel the same way about Ted Lasso. I can't, I don't know what this says about me, but I, I can't get too invested in something where, where I know ultimately oh, it's all just going to work out and they're really, 
they're all going to be really cute about things. Like, because where's where's the true conflict there? Right. I think I think Alex, John, am I allowed to say my thing about American Red Dwarf? Yeah, go for it. In the British first episode, of Red Dwarf, yes. Lister comes in uh, on finding out that he's been in stasis for three million years. He goes three million years. I still got that library book. Mm. In the American pilot, the equivalent line is three million years. My baseball cards are going to be worth a fortune. Mm. And for me, that does exactly what you were just talking Oof. about. That, that fundamental difference between American and British. Like the American wins. Lister is better off for having been in stasis for three That's million years. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it's true. Let's get to the hard stuff. When did you stop watching Red Dwarf? Or did you? I watched uh, seven and eight because I guess I was a teenager, 12, 12 and 14, I think, when those seasons came out. And I very much remember making myself like them. And I did a huge... And that and that was that was it. I then watched um, the three-part of Back to Earth. And I didn't even hate it, but I went, yeah, I'm kind of... I'm all right checking out and... I've got uh, I've got a friend who still watches it, and he says there's a couple of episodes of the new stuff where it's it's almost as good as old Red Dwarf, and I it's one of those things I'll just take his word for it. I don't really need to see like um, a facsimile of this show that I used to uh, that I that I still love. Like I I loved it so much. That's a very apposite word to use because it doesn't feel like an extension necessarily. Right. I, I'm a bit of an apologist for the new series. Mm-hmm, there are some mm-hmm. j- jokes that really land really yeah. well. There's good writing in it, yeah. but what you're talking about is undeniable. Right. They can't move forward with it. Mm-hmm. And it, there is there is fan appeasement going on. And as soon as you sure. have that, and Red Dwarf's always had a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Like Dwayne Dibley coming back. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there are, prob- there are definitely problems in season five and six, if you could call them problems, where it is that thing. People are so familiar with the show and they love the, the studio audience. You can hear them. They're so they're like, oh, they're vibrating with how much they love the show. <laughs> um, and uh, watching as a kid, Obviously, I would be like, season six is my favourite because Dwayne Devley comes back, like you say. Yeah. Um, and it's as, as I did a re- big rewatch in lockdown. Hadn't watched Red Dwarf probably in about 10 years. And it was so nice discovering, like, the I think I said right at the beginning, like, this show is brilliant for reasons I didn't even realise. Like, watching Red, mm. watching a lot of things in a in a post-Me Too world <laughs> can oh, be wow. can be heartbreaking <laughs> when you're like, oh, oh, that thing I used to love is horrible. Um, there's a, I mean, there's definitely elements of that with friends. And watching Red Dwarf and going, oh, okay, this show, maybe even by accident, because it's like a, a male team um, have created it, it's an all-male cast, and somehow it's like they knew what, incels were going to be way off in the future and I was like god I can I can love it even more I didn't even know I found the same thing with Goodfellas which was my favorite film from when I first saw it I was 15 and Mm. then I hadn't watched it for a few years and went on my birthday about four years ago they were showing it at the Prince Charles cinema beautiful um beautiful old print that they had and um so I, I went and watched it with that same sort of trepidation. Like, what if I watch this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's just shit, man, isn't it? I watched it. I was like, oh, no, Scorsese got it. Like, there's a bit in Goodfellas where Joe Pesci's girlfriend, it's Ileana Douglas, or, or no, or mistress or wife. Anyway, she, the camera's sort of panning across everyone and he's gesticulating at her and shouting at her and then he walks away. And she turns to her friend and goes, oh, he gets so jealous. If I even looked at another man, he'd kill me. And 
her, the friend goes, oh, that's great. <laughs> There's no way Scorsese didn't know exactly what he was doing with that. These these shows that knowingly are about toxic masculinity and these films that are knowingly about it sort of years ahead of their time that mean they can improve with age. I think Red Dwarf is definitely that, uh, particularly in those first seasons. Is there a particular era or series that stands out for you in Red Dwarf? So assuming one to six somewhere. I'm sort of sad about this because... This rewatch showed me that I don't think the show was ever as good for me as it was in season one. Oh my gosh. Right. I love everything about season one Red Dwarf and I love Crichton, I love Robert Llewellyn's performance and if he'd been in season one of Red Dwarf, no issues whatsoever. To have an to have your second ever episode of your sitcom be Future Echoes, it, it kind of doesn't get much better than that. That they perfectly explain the sci-fi element, which is very high concept, and um, it, I mean it doesn't involve time travel strictly, but time travel stuff, time travel adjacent stuff, is notoriously hard to to make understandable on screen. You know, I gave myself a headache watching Looper in the cinema, for example. Um, <laughs> but I think. Yeah, like I say, to have the second episode of your show be Future Echoes, that is bold. And mm. I think that's bolder than something like, um, say, Polymorph, uh, which is kind of... I, I really like Polymorph and I love what it does with the characters. And there is like deep dive stuff into into the characters, like people losing their guilt and people losing their shame. But Polymorph is mainly a parody of alien confidence and paranoia i'll always have that higher than polymorph because confidence and paranoia mm. is like hardcore psychological stuff and really funny and they put in two guest stars without you going oh there's two new actors on this you know there's two new people for them to interact with and i'm, I'm not used to it because we were so used to the fact that it's just these people on this ship that's wow. the whole point of the show that's really true i've not even considered that it's, it is mold breaking yeah. but you don't it's mm. never a problem. It's ne it doesn't. No, you don't judge it. It's no. the, the writing is just so robust. It, like if you can yeah. do Future Echoes as your second, like you're saying, like that, the fact that the audience didn't quit at that point mm -hmm. is a sign yeah. that these guys are really good at what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. It. I've got I've got one last little question mm -hmm. before we talk about balance of power specifically. Mm. It's a bit of a contentious question because mm -hmm. obviously Craig Charles, Chris Barry, Robert Llewellyn, Danny John Jules, they are irreplaceable but if you had to replace them <laughs> so sure, how, would sure. you, how would you recast this show for a, a current day reboot it is a great question well in sort of honor of grant and Naylor's idea that it would be this very international feeling sitcom why not put uh david schwimmer in as uh in the chris barry role wow. uh, uh put him put him as rimmer uh i think that would be sort of an interesting performance and it would get round the american gloss side of things because i i think david schwimmer is just brilliant i think he's so he amazing and i think he and he does play uh, harder than i Ross, think he's the best friend yeah Me too. In his, his series five Season five performance is incredible. Oh God, he's, he's he is so good. Where he starts he to do lose it all. his mind a little bit, and, and yeah, but yeah, when yeah. He's not in Friends, yeah, he's he mm. can play harder as well, like hard. He's hard good. Sonia, he can, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he's very good. I thought he was brilliant in Band of Brothers. Mm. Uh, yeah, where he he plays a character sort of so unlike Ross, but we're so used to Ross from Friends, mm. it would be easy for us to go, hey, look, it's the guy who's Ross from Friends, but I, I never did when watching Battle Brothers. Anyway, um, so I think I think that would be interesting casting. Yeah. Um, 
as yeah. far as the cat goes, there's a guy that <laughs> he's not famous. There's a guy I did a he's famous in musical theatre. Um, I was lucky enough to work with a few years ago called Cedric Neal, uh, who's a absolutely brilliant singer. He's American, and I think he would. He's so funny and he's so off the wall funny I'd love to see what he would do with the cat um that's Cedric Neal is he, is Cedric him Neal a physical guy like is he, 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 do that, he he's a he is a very physical performer yeah and I think I think he'd be fantastic now um in terms of um Lister I don't know how well this would work but I think maybe someone because I'm thinking about like they shoot it in around that time the 80s or early 90s someone like Aid Edmondson. Oh my gosh. Could you could ah. you see it? I could see it. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> yeah. He was he was very busy <laughs> playing very very violent psychopaths at the time but <laughs> yes. But actually his his but, real but life persona is so gentle and so lovely and yes. positive and yeah, yeah he could yeah, yeah, I could see it. I could just see it. Now, it gets harder with Holly because I just think Norman Lovett makes the perfect computer. <laughs> but uh, I'd, I'd sort of like flip it. Someone like Alexi Sale. <gasps> someone who's the opposite of a computer. Someone who's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, oh this is stupid and you know my performance is going to let you know this is stupid. Like That's it. Like Because <laughs> we're, we're stirring shit up now because we know we never recast this. Part of the uh, brilliance of the show is the alchemy of this cast's chemistry. Even the, even when they weren't liking each other, it was sort of perfect. Um, so, yeah, that I, I think uh, as we're doing season one, that's where I'd... That's where I go with you could it. Almost could you not almost map the young ones cast onto the Red Dwarf cast? Like I, you're only two we, steps away from done. putting Rick Mail in as Rimmer, and yeah, uh, and, and Nigel Planner as uh, Crichton. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So much guilt. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> there we go. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Stop general chat and, and talk about this awesome episode. John, tell us about it. Let's get super specific. Right, Balance of Power, or uh, to give it its friend's title then, uh, it's the one with the 4,691 irradiated haggis, I guess. <laughs> so Lister reveals the grand plan that will be threaded intricately throughout every story arc for the next 35 years and counting. Go back to Earth, and in the meantime, slob around, have a few laughs. Take that, Babylon 5. 
Rimmer has hidden the cigarettes. He's rationing them in line with behaviour to exert control over Lister. Holly explains that he chose to bring Rimmer back as Lister's sole companion because he is the best person to keep Lister sane. After all, they exchanged over 14 million words compared to the paltry 173 words that Lister exchanged with Christine Kachansky. Lister is feeling deeply alone and unloved. Rimmer refuses to be switched off for four hours to allow Lister to try his luck on a date with Kachansky's hologram, and furthermore, he's hidden the hologram discs. So Lister nicks Rimmer's old learning drugs and tries to pass the chef's exam in order to outrank him. Brilliant. Rimmer is distracted by some Sam Raimi-esque antics involving Peterson's arm, but this ordeal clearly gives him an idea. The devious Gimboid visits Lister mid-exam in the holographic body of Kachansky. Rimchansky drops a bomb. I just don't like you. I'm not going to do the voice. I just don't like you, he says in Kachansky's voice. I need a man who's going places. Up, up, the ziggurat, lickety split. Triggered by the extraordinary phrase, I'm having a woman's period, Lister sees through this performance and realises this is not Mike Kachansky. Not long after, an anxious Rimmer watches as Lister gets his exam results. He's passed! Now everything is going to change for good. Unless we find out next week he was just messing around. Susan Fergus, white card, let's get into balance of power. Black card, first some trivia. <laughs> BBC apparently wanted a straight sitcom episode because they didn't want the show to be too heavy on the sci-fi and balance of power was uh, apparently Grant Naylor's response to that. Readers of the Red Dwarfs magazine considered this the weakest episode of season one. It received just 0.1%, 0.1% of the votes what, in for the readers' poll. Just the six episodes of series one? For, for out, out of the season one. What? I'm sure it was parceled up with other seasons at the time of the poll. I, I can't believe it was that unpopular just within season <laughs> one. I've got a theory as to why that might be. Well, go for it. Yeah. What? What is that? I think it's the ending. I saw this as it was being mm. transmitted. That meant I spent a week wondering how Lister was going to lord it mm. over Rimmer in episode four. Mm-hmm. And I reckon it's that disappointment, it's that lack of continuity right. that, that that maybe bugs people. Because it was the first time they went, hey, we're changing the story, we're changing mm-hmm. the dynamic of this whole show. And then the next show it was like, no, we're not. Yeah, yeah. So retrospectively disappointing rather than disappointing in and of itself. The episode itself is brilliant, right? Mm. It, well, well, how disappointing would it be, though, if he had passed, actually? Yeah, he becomes an officer. It is a funny one, isn't it? Because plot-wise, on the face of things, there's not loads to dig into mm-hmm. on this episode. It kind of like, how well does it fulfil that brief of being a straightforward sitcom episode as much as Red Dwarf can? The stakes are actually relatively low because he wants to become an officer to outrank Rimmer and then get to spend time with Kachansky. A woman he doesn't know. I've, I've never liked yeah. the fact that they then <laughs> retconned it that they had dated because, like, no, she wouldn't. <laughs> she wouldn't have done. She'd barely be aware of him because of his attitude towards her, which was to put her up on a pedestal and, and never truly approach her in any meaningful way. So, what, yeah, he would essentially... Like, what what he gets when he gets Rima as Kachansky talking to him probably isn't a million miles away from what she actually would have felt. She would have, <laughs> would have been kinder about it and she wouldn't have said, I'm a bit out of sorts, I'm having a woman's period. But she wouldn't have She wouldn't have gone, oh, really, you've held a candle for me this whole time? Well, that's amazing. And I, and, and I think the show knows that as well. So they they at this point, yes. I think it's a, a case of like, they can never truly meet. This isn't like a love story that we're working towards and it kind of, it kind of disappoints me that they did do that. Yeah. <laughs> and List, Lister knows it as well, right? Like he knows it in the flashback very clearly and then he, and when she does seemingly appear, that brilliant bit of acting he does when he, when he's holding on to the hot yeah, dish yeah. for too long and then scream, like he's so taken aback. This is not a man who's expecting, it's not just because he wasn't expecting a then, it's he's not expecting this to, yeah, to work out at yeah. all. Yeah. 
the whole thing is a flight of fancy, yeah. really, isn't it? Uh, one of the things I like about it, it, it speaks highly of Lister's character that when Rimmer goes, oh, he goes, oh, come on, it's Kachansky's body, it's Kachansky's voice, what's the difference? Yes. And in and not even, like, a really easy, cheap gag that maybe another sitcom would have made would be Lister, like, contemplating, shall I, shall I f*** this hologram or like something <laughs> not that that's possible but you know what I mean well god he could have contemplated yes. like go on then take your shirt off or something no that wouldn't even cross his mind the fact is he goes no that's not her so I'm not interested yeah. and I think that speaks highly of Lister and I think that's that would that's a something that would be unique to a sitcom like Red Dwarf in 1988 yeah there is a purity to the whole thing because he, he wants to take her on a yeah. date like, he doesn't, like you say he doesn't want to just get Kachansky's body no, back no. he wants to Go and have a romantic candlelit dinner. Yeah, and yeah, it's his idea of her is what he's in love with. But and and this and this idea that like oh I was oh what a shame that they all died while I was in stasis because I was this close to making her my wife. Um, (laughs) It's it's like it's a it's pure it is pure fantasy. There's a sort of immature maturity to the fact that what he wants is to just live a lovely happy life with Kachansky. Rimmer's sort of envious of that, like as you say, that purity because. What he fantasizes about is grim and and slimy, um, <laughs> and as you've said, it, when he when he's got that opportunity and better than life, what he does is rejects it because <laughs> he can't have anything nice happen to him. He's happy in his misery. <laughs> you, you've made me aware of something there, Sue's talking about the immaturity of Lister's perception of this this non-existent relationship with Kachansky. Mm. I think the reason why the reason why I was so invested in it when I was watching it. As a as a young teen is is precisely because that was all I had as well. Like just the mm-hmm. the fantasy of a relationship that was it. So that I for me this was just yeah that there you go. You just carry a torch with someone. That's that's what life mm-hmm. is for an adult show. This does speak to kids really it does. well, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. In terms of unrequited love, there's nothing more unrequited than the love you have for someone who's definitely dead. <laughs> Three million years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Susan, I don't know if I'm going to take us down a blind alley now, but um, mm-hmm. you're, for any listeners that haven't listened to the Queen podcast, now defunct, sadly, but there's, it's, yeah. you know, it lives forever. It was a um, child of lockdown. It was a child of lockdown, uh, but it deserves, it deserves a, a long half-life. Hearing mm. you talking about Freddie Mercury's vocal techniques is one of life's great pleasures. So go down <laughs> oh, with that, guys. <laughs> there is some musical stuff in this episode, and so I wondered if uh, if it was worth mining for any thoughts that you have on it. Um, <laughs> so, right, I don't imagine there's much of this, but this is the first time I think that we hear we actually hear Lister's beloved Rastabilly skank. Which oh it, yes, appears yeah. to be just basic boogie with shed loads of chorus, very eighties. Um, right? Can you, can you see it catching on? That's no, not the question. Um, I, 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 I want to know what would you blend together if you had to create some music of the future? If I had to create Rastabilly skank, what is it? The rumors like, oh, it causes bowel problems. Yes, it causes yes, you to evacuate that, yeah. your bowels. Um, it would be something as far flung as like jungle, as in club jungle drums and bass like set with like gamelan music uh which oh, wow. I, I don't know if you've ever heard but if you if you heard it be like oh yeah it's that if you put those together surely that would cause some sort of bowel issue <laughs> it definitely would <laughs> it definitely would yeah do you think that's the direction music is just heading in i think we're gonna get there eventually yeah there are no new ideas <laughs> trap feels like it's specifically designed to do that right yeah yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah we've had enough pleasant pop but well that's why motorhead is elevated along with uh, mozart mendelssohn then yes in the future yeah. it's just it just becomes part of the pantheon. I I always really like the joke where um, 
where Rimmer's like, he's like, you know, Wilfred Shakespeare. I think that's really good. I think that says, it's a silly little joke, but I think it says a lot about Rimmer <laughs> and a lot about uh, how art and culture is treated in the future. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, sticking with the musical theme, Lister's disco music, it says, I don't know why it's Lister's disco music. Oh, yeah, uh, in the According flashback. to Wikipedia, yeah. It's a track for, called Fakin' and it's by Motor City Diva, who don't appear on Google anywhere other than in relation to Red Dwarf. So I think okay. that might be, a, yeah, maybe it's an in-joke or something. Yeah. But it's, it's Motor City Diva with Danny John Jules. Oh, no, I didn't know that. And you've already mentioned how much mm. you love Cat in the beginning when he's just in being a cat. season one, yeah. Right, he's written in quite a narrow lane in the first couple of seasons yeah. compared to what he does later on. But he yeah. brings so much to every moment. And for me, like some yeah. of the most enjoyable bits of this episode are things like, how am I looking? I'm just a nice period, which just mm. lives rent-free in my head and has yeah. done for the last 30 years. <laughs> what is there stuff when you're watching him? Because obviously his background was dance. He was in the original Starlight yeah. Express. Hadn't mm-hmm. done loads of telly at this point. Yeah. As a musical theatre performer, yeah. what sort of things are you seeing Danny doing? You know, are there techniques you can identify that he's drawing on to create this indelible TV character with such comparatively little material yeah um i mean it's an obvious one but the movement is that's how a dancer walks um he's so in tune with his body and he wasn't just a dancer like he was one of the most successful commercial dancers in um a period where it was probably extremely difficult even compared to now to to be a black man working in commercial dance like Mm. he he had an incredible dance career even at a pretty young age he's so in tune with his body and he's been put in f- frankly ridiculous costumes and the way he looks completely comfortable in them i think is probably what set him apart from everyone else who auditioned yeah. um i know the story about how he showed up an hour late and didn't realize he was an hour late and made no apology for it and they loved wow. that awesome that's what a cat would do yeah exactly <laughs> yeah a cat is like well i i will show up when i feel like it thank you and then just he just said he sort of just went for it in the audition and they loved it and he is perfect in the role but yeah i'm sure if he'd known he was an hour late he'd have been very apologetic and maybe wouldn't yeah, have got yeah. it there's also this he's completely understands the writing because the writing of that is brilliant i mean what an incredible idea for a character that's so neatly explained by holly where he's like well you humans evolved from apes he evolved from cats yeah. and you don't need many brain cells to go oh yeah no i totally get what i'm looking at here and what he really gets with which is how a cat behaves <laughs> fergus your cat is on the screen right now <laughs> literally literally being the cat um <laughs> there's no malice in when he turns around and goes when uh, that when the cat priest is going like oh um why would you care and the cat goes i don't care <laughs> i don't care and there's there's an absolutely he's he's not trying to be a piece of telling saying that he's going no no i i don't care i really don't care he's it's like almost like a child would be when a a child will say out loud during a dinner when someone's telling a long story they'll go i'm very bored Mm. um it's not done because they're like right i'll get you with this uh and the cat the cat sort of does that because that is what cats are like they walk across your dinner and sort of stumble through you'd be like you've just trodden in my gravy and then spotted it all over the lounge and they'll look round at you and go I know I did why are you being like this about it um, and I think that's what Danny John Jules perfectly gets with with the perfect writing of the cat yeah. <laughs> there's a bit uh, the bit where Lister sort of passes out when he's got the um, mutated flu he passes out and the uh, cat passes him and goes oh no you're ill 
oh, bye. He just sort of goes, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, yeah. look at you. You are not yeah. well. And that, that's as far. He, oh, he says, if I didn't like you, I'd steal your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so then we go like, oh, he likes him. Yeah, that's a great right. compliment and kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something, something we've, um, we've observed uh, with the series is that the BBC mm. iPlayer, which has currently got all of Red Dwarf on it, is is mm-hmm. marketing this show to potential viewers in really weird ways. They've got maybe fifteen words per episode to give you a little a little teaser okay. of what the episode is about. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a look at the, the the teaser for Balance of Power, and it begins cult space comedy series, which you sort of think, well, fair enough, it is that, but that's mm-hmm. the only episode it says that about. Oh, and when you read on, I think you learn why they felt the need to say that. Cult space comedy series. Lister wants to go on a date with a dead console officer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> a bit of context. All the ways that you could summarise that. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, like, marry that up with the title, Balance of Power. What kind of fresh hell is this that we're wading into? Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to watch that. I wouldn't want to watch that show. <laughs> no. And weird details. What, a console officer? What was that? What even is a console officer? Yeah. What's what are they talking about? Yeah, I wouldn't have even clocked. I mean, obviously, I know Kachansky is the console officer on Red Dwarf, but if someone said, describe Kachansky right now, I wouldn't go, well, she was Red Dwarf's console officer. <laughs> exactly. That's something yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. strange, yeah. She was in charge of the consoles. I'm not even sure <laughs> she was that. But um, obviously, that's not what... That, I mean, that's not really what... That is an element of the plot, but mm. no, no, no normal person with a sense of empathy would describe what Lister actually wants in those yeah, terms. Oh yeah, what an odd what an odd uh, choice. Yeah. Really weird. Unless it's the first part of a very long sentence that goes mm-hmm. on to say, but because he's trapped on a spaceship where they can only regenerate mm. one person at a time as a hologram, he has to go through this rigmarole. Yeah, and someone's gone, that's too long, it won't fit. They've gone, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll just cut the end bit and put cult space comedy at the beginning. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. way they'll know. <laughs> anyway, what the episode obviously is about, if it's about anything other than being funny, is uh, is yeah. Is like what it says in the tin, right? It's the balance of power. There's lots of stuff in there about the balance of power. So, mm. at the risk of being a bit Red Dwarf book club with this question, right. you've got uh, Rimmer and Lister, you've got Rimmer and the cat with the cigarettes and the bartering, mm. you've got Holly. Do we really believe Rimmer's physical data disc has been corrupted, or is Holly being sure. a bit of a boss there? Yeah. You've got the, the questionable thing with Kachansky yeah. being brought back despite the fact that she outranks everyone uh, and nobody asks her if she wants to come back to go to date with Dave mm-hmm. Suze balance mm. of power discuss <laughs> <laughs> yes what is what is so lovely about um, Lister and Rimmer's uh, you know this this imbalance of power between the two of them is yes Lister is outranked and so there's many things that he can't request on the ship uh, without Rimmer's um, say so but yeah Rimmer has no physical abilities so he can only order the scutters to do stuff for him and and they hate him or he can try and get Lister to do stuff I mean he tries to get the cat to help him um carry Lister later in the series in Confidence of Paranoia and uh, the cat literally pretends to get up from the table it's, it's <laughs> yes. um, just an incredible bit of physical comedy um and very cat like uh so yeah he and and the, the the bitterness and frustration he has in that as he just counts as one more injustice in his life as like within his death there's even injustice because now he has no ability to touch that leaves him powerless even though he does technically still have the most power on the ship on paper <laughs> obviously in this episode you've got the the threat of the cigarettes being withheld mm, so mm-hmm. it's you know but it's not it's more than just you know Lister is is a 
degenerate addict that, that can't make it to the first step, isn't it? It's not mm. that. It's on some level, I think Holly's got a point about keeping him sane here. Because his grand yeah. plan is to just slob about and have a few laughs. Yeah, yeah, sit in the cinema and drink beers and, yeah. There's a hell of a lot in this episode. We haven't covered all of it. But if you had to pick a best mm. bit, whether it's a best line, a best moment, a best look, a best musical cue, who knows, what uh, What for you is the standout part of uh, Balance of Power? Oh, it's, it's, it's near the end. It's so funny and it's a, it's a physical uh, masterpiece from both of them. Lister is getting his results of the test and Rimmer is sidling over because he's completely like he's this 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 could be life changing for both of them because of the balance of power. So whether Lister passes or fails the exam is so important to Rimmer. And so he's sidling over, trying to be casual. And on top of that, he's still got a woman's hips. So he's walking <laughs> yes. over with no dignity whatsoever. He's walking over with a very feminine walk. And Lister sees that and just looks away. And the look away is towards the camera. He doesn't look yes. down the barrel of the camera. And it's so funny. And it really took me by surprise re-watching it, you know, years and years later. I'd sort of forgotten this. And I, I was like, God, that's so f***ing funny. <laughs> it is. That, that, that look is profound in comedy as well right actually yeah. to make a big old circle of the whole thing mm. jennifer aniston criticizes uh, ross in friends for doing that when an awkward thing happens she says yeah go on just look out at a wall weirdly uh, uh. <laughs> she picks up ross on on doing right. a, a look almost to camera right <laughs> It was his third half hour of telly ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Craig Charles. Yeah, people, I've heard people say, they must have heard it from Craig Charles saying, oh, I wasn't very comfortable with the acting because you will hear people now go, oh, yeah, in the first series, Craig Charles' acting isn't that good, but by series three and four, it was really good. I'm like, no, he was great from the start. He came, he was such a natural, he's brilliant. Yeah, he was yeah. cast to be himself, I think. The problem, yeah. if there is a problem, it's when he thinks that his performance needs something more than what he's already giving. Sure, right, right. And, and actually, yeah, the comfort, he's, oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. That's what this podcast is, basically. A bunch of people <laughs> just go, oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? They're, it was so good, isn't brilliant. it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's and, quite good, isn't it? I think, good. Sh- I think you should do more episodes of this. I think the show's good. Yeah. I think we will. I think we will. And... Uh, Suze, you're welcome back anytime because you have also oh, been Oh, thank you. Uh, I would love to. Thank you. There is one question that I want to <laughs> ask you. Um, sure. W- which is, can you just briefly um, summarise all of your thoughts about Queen in the 1980s? But I'm not going to ask you that. Um, I'll just have to hope that one day that podcast returns. Um, to our Second pandemic, Instead, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who knows? Uh, maybe it'll be something that eats your flesh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something to look forward to. But ask what uh, all, all the Red Dwarf fans who haven't heard the Queen podcast want to know, which is uh, where can they find Suze Kempner? Oh, yes, I, I am at this point in time still on Twitter, now X, um, because they'll have to tear me out of there with my cold with their cold dead hands etc uh, so S-O-O-Z you probably have to pay them yeah I will not be paying for it as soon as basically if you're listening to this and Twitter you've heard on the grapevine is um, behind a paywall I won't be on there because I refuse to give a penny to Elon Musk uh, but I am on there <laughs> mugging him off day after day S-O-O-Z <laughs> UK Sue's UK I'm, I'm also on Instagram and threads and blue sky but unfortunately Twitter's the place I've got the most visibility still so that's why I'm still there so yeah do you just and I'm on YouTube and come and see me live for your it's just Google me I'm the only Suze Kempner so <laughs> there you go go do it say nice things thank you so much Suze thanks Suze thank you cheers wasn't Suze Kempner 
brilliant. Yeah, the light as as per. We're three episodes in. I'm really enjoying this. It's great, I, isn't I, it? Like, if anyone has a problem with with the whole, like, how would you recast a reboot of the show? Mm. Then I hope that just these first this first batch of recasting oh, has yeah. answered that question, which is it's it's not about the sacrilege of of replacing the actors. It really shows you how people see this show and and the different perspectives on it. And I loved Suze's return to the eighties and nineties. If we're, I want to remake it, but back then with a different cast, like yeah, yeah, it's a lovely approach. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole Red Dwarf multiverse out there. It turns out of just amazing people playing these characters in really like signature ways. I love it. Very revealing psychologically, I imagine. The fact that someone can just wander in and go, oh, I would cast X person as Lister. And you just go, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And you can sort of see what that, what the version of that, you know, like Daisy May Cooper. I can see that in my head. And it's not mm. Craig, Char- it's not her doing a Craig Charles impression, obviously, because no. that would be absolutely <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> but, but like, it's really vivid to me. And that's, that says so much about, I guess that's why it's worth doing a podcast on the show, because it's, it's much better than you think it is, even when you love it, when you actually stop and make yourself think about why it's so good. It's just, it's a, it's just a pleasure, isn't it? How nice to know we can love the same thing in very different ways. Yeah, that's true. I just want to shout out a moment from this episode. A thing that I just that I think is great is Holly's explanation of why he chose his face. It's the greatest and most prolific lover who ever lived. I think that's awesome. But I have some trivia behind that that I didn't <laughs> mention when we had Suze here. Apparently, Holly was going to be just a voice originally. Yeah. And this was the episode where they decided that we should see his face. So presumably they, they wrote that at that point because they knew that we were going to see him. And and they reshot for the preceding episodes that had been filmed. Obviously, it wasn't broadcast in uh, the same order it was filmed exactly as we've kind of touched on already in other discussions. But yeah, this is the first time anybody would have actually seen the magnificent sexy Norman Lovett doing his thing. Yeah, that's brilliant. In all of his glory. That's lovely. I can't imagine it just as a voice. He's got a great voice, but his face adds so much to the character. Mm. Yeah, I guess they were thinking of like Hal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Presumably, yeah. And all the all the spaceship voices that Sigourney Weaver does. I think part of the reason he appears on screen is that Norman Lovett was petitioning pretty heavily for it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. It's for more profile, presumably. It was such a success that he doesn't need to be like. It sounds like ego, but actually, it was correct as well. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely funnier seeing it because you get stuff like that amazing. Um, Night Watchman outfit in Queen. Yeah. No spoilers. Yeah. Well, that is a spoiler. Actually, n- now, this is weird. I don't know why, but I spent a little bit of time trying to determine whether I think Lister actually tried to make roast beef and somehow made a gatto because he's a terrible chef, foreshadowing the fact that he's going to fail, or whether it's a joke. It has to be, and it is, It like, the what was the fifth line of the first episode, the... Is that a cigarette you're smoking? No, it's a chicken. I think yeah, Lister yeah. is adept at that kind One of, of those kind of things. Yeah, very sardonic for him. Yeah, it's extremely dry because he's yeah. yeah, extremely. In any other context, you go, yeah, that's obviously a, that's obviously a joke because it's Red Dwarf and weird things happen. I was <laughs> part of me was going, well, maybe there's some kind of bizarre futuristic cooking that enables this to happen. Anyway, but that would surely render the chef's exam pointless. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. If you're talking 100%. about like programming in an AI oven. God forbid they make this plotline pointless. I mean, that would be awful. <laughs> Actually, about this episode, there was one thing, because you started to talk about the balance of power and the, thema- the theme of that throughout the episode. Yeah, yeah. And I think you talking about that 
was the first time that I really understood that Holly doesn't have any power. Interesting. Holly can do anything on the ship, could could make anything happen, but he doesn't. He doesn't stop Rimmer. He doesn't control the scutters. Maybe he can't. Maybe Holly doesn't even have a rank. There's 169 crew members. You can bet Holly's not amongst that number, right? That is true. Although I do wonder, because he says that the physical data disk has become corrupted in this episode, and that accounts for Peterson's arm. I don't know if I believe that. I guess his existence is pointless without them, isn't it? So ultimately, he can't. He probably could pull a, a Hal in 2001 and attempt to... But what would be the point? It, He'd just go even more mad. Well, it's the iRobot. The, the, the outcome of the Asimovian laws, right, is the only way of truly protecting humanity is to make sure there's no humans to protect. Do we see Holly before the stasis leak? We do, right? He comes on screen while, while the crew is still alive. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, funeral. yeah, is that yeah right? that's right, he does, yeah. That's a weird thing to think about in itself. N- not that Norman Lovett is funny and has a funny face and a funny voice and should be on screen being seen and heard, but... They they chose him. They programmed it. The JMC programmed their ship's computer to be like this. And presumably that J, that that impish prankstery quality developed over three million years rather than existing mm, at the start of episode one. Yeah, right? yeah. So what was the <laughs> why? Why is that 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 seems to be the personality that's manifested itself. Maybe he went through lots of iterations and just ended up like immortals so often do, just completely disconnected and just wanting to play jokes because that's that, just wanting to amuse yourself. Basically. He's done everything else. Yeah, I mean, wow, actually, yeah, because what if what if Red Dwarf's been safe for two million years, but Ollie was just having too much fun, and he's finally just got <laughs> bored and gone, oh well, I'll just wake that guy up. What was his name again? Lister. Oh, I better give him a companion. Who would be the most entertaining companion I could give him? Oh, that <gasps> smeghead. Like, of it could it's be. Been staring us in the face, the whole thing was a yeah. prank. The whole thing is about just torturing someone. Red Dwarf conspiracy theory. The dark timeline. We've done it. Episode three, and we've already got. <laughs> right, so who's on next week? Oh, it's a good one. It's, they're all good. We've got Paul Foxcroft talking about waiting for God. You could not get a more perfect person on to talk about. All of that lore and very you know, mythos. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, we'll see you there. We won't see you. It's, an audio, it's an audio medium. Listen. We'll we'll we, hear we you there. You'll hear us then. You'll hear us exactly. Yeah. Smooth. We're not we're not that good at this bit yet. We'll get there. Bye. <laughs> to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.